You see, at Left Coast Protestant Church, we love God's Word. We come to worship God, and in our worship, we read His Word. In our worship, we pray His Word. In our worship, we sing His Word. And in our worship, we hear His Word preached. But also we have opportunity particularly to, to learn about his word on special occasions. And I just want to again draw your attention and recommend the uh, Bible training that we're doing at the end of this month. It's over the Byram holiday period. So it's holiday time. You won't have lectures. You won't have work. You will be off. There's no excuse not to be here. Uh, and we long for lots of you, many of you, all of you to, to be here and we're going to be looking through the whole of God's Word in that week intensively. We're going to be seeing it from Genesis to Revelation, seeing how it all fits together. And I know from past experiences that people have done that, have found it such a blessing to them, such a help. And it makes the sermons become more alive. It makes the reading of God's Word become more alive. And so I just very much want to uh, encourage you uh, to come along uh, to that. Well, before we dive into this passage in 1 Corinthians uh, 11, I would like to pray and commit our time to the Lord, asking the Holy Spirit to be with us in, in a special way, teaching us from his word. Almighty God, we thank you that we are together again here this morning. We thank you that we're around your word. We thank you that your word is alive and living, and you've preserved it and kept it for us, and we have it here in front of us in our own language. Well, Lord God, as I preach from it. May you pour out your spirit upon me and enable me to bring the message that you would have us to hear from your word. Keep me from saying anything amiss. Keep me from saying anything wrong. May I say it in a simple, concise, righteous way. May the Holy Spirit take what you are saying to us and apply it into our hearts and our lives. May you meet each one of us here at our point of need, O oh Lord God. May you build up those that need building up. May you Bring down those that need bringing down. May you fix and repair those that are broken. May you uplift the downhearted. May you, oh Lord God, you know where we're at. May you meet us at that point of need. And may you bless us richly. And in blessing us, may your name be glorified. And in blessing us now in this moment, may what we learn go on to be a blessing to many as we live it out in the days, weeks, and our life ahead. In Jesus' name we've prayed. Amen. Last week, we, we started this section. We're in 1 Corinthians and chapter 11. I would encourage you to have your Bibles or your devices open on, on Corinthian, 1 Corinthians and chapter 11. If you're using a device, I would recommend that you get rid of the distractions. So put it on flight, do what you need to. Don't let anything distract you as we come around God's Word now. We're looking at the second uh, part of this uh, section in chapter 11, uh, we, we, the first section was, was looking about headship. It was looking about our role and relationship to God and how we function as a church family in that way and how we show headship. And then the second part of, of, the, of the chapter is looking at the Lord's Supper. As I said last week, that there are 10 major issues that Paul addresses in this letter to the Corinthians and this is number eight. And tragically, there were people within this church family who were uh, abusing the Lord's Supper. And Paul has heavy language. He says, I do not commend you, in verse 17. And in verse 22, he goes on and says, 
Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. Things have gone wrong. Things that went badly wrong at this church with regard to the Lord's Supper. There were divisions and factions. The Lord's Supper, the communion, the Holy Communion, when they gathered around the Lord's table should be a time of unity, a time of remembering, a time of giving God the praise. But the problem was the have-nots, or the haves, were not sharing their food with the have-nots. And this attitude of selfishness, this attitude of greed, this attitude of drunkenness was defined and explained by the Apostle Paul as despising the church of God. Despising the church of God. Now this is a very, very serious charge because people and churches that fail in this way, they are despising the church of God. And we have to remember this. If you remember our series on the church, we were outlined that the church is not an individual. The church isn't owned by the pastor. The church isn't owned by the members. The church is God's church. And when these things went wrong in Corinth, these people were charged. These people were accused of the fact that they were despising the church of God. And then Paul goes on to explain to this church in Corinth how to do things right. And there was five points we picked up from that section, from verses 23 to 26, about how things were done right. And first we noted that they were received from the Lord. This instruction of how to do communion, this instruction of how to do the Lord's Supper, was from the Lord Jesus Christ. It wasn't something the Apostle Paul invented. It wasn't something, a tradition of the forefathers. This is something that Jesus gave to his disciples directly. And, and Paul had that revelation either from that situation then or other, and he knew that this was from the Lord, and this is what we are to do. We also saw that there was this relationship between me and my and you. The me and the my were God speaking, and the you were the Corinthians. This is to remember Jesus. This is to remember Jesus' death. This is to remember Jesus' resurrection. This is to remember that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to return again. It's all about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and particularly remembering what Jesus, God's only Son, did for, his, did for us, his people. But we are in there. It's for us. It's for our memory. It's to help us. And God knows that we are forgetful people. And uh, Brother Scott reminded us that yes, last time, didn't he, with little bits of string tied around his fingers to, 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 to help him remember. And then you never guess what Pastor Scott did last Sunday. He forgot his Bible here. He hadn't got his string tied to him. And it's so easy, 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 easy to forget things. And God knows that. And so this is why we have communion, to remind us, to remind us, to remind us. And when we are there, we were to be remembered by us. And also Jesus is to be proclaimed by us. This is not just for us to remember ourselves, but it's for us to remember that this is what's been done for us, and the world needs to know. The world needs to know that there is a huge problem, and that's sin. And there's a just God who will judge sin justly and punish it righteously. And Jesus came to pay the price of the sins of his people. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, anyone who repents and believes, sincerely will be brought into God's kingdom. 
And so Jesus is to be proclaimed. And we saw the, 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 the Lord's Supper was something that was remembering the past in the present, but looking forward to the future. Looking forward to the future is such an important part of our Christian walk. This, this Thursday, our growth group, we were here, and we were discussing exams and students and studying, and it's a very heavy subject. Uh, and one young person said, uh, this is how I handle exams, stress. I think about heaven. And then he says, the exam then doesn't seem quite so important. I'm not quite so stressed by it. And there's so much truth there. Because we get so caught up in this world. And what the communion service, what the Lord's Supper does, is remind us that this world is not what it's all about. What it's all about is Christ died on the cross to save his people from their sins so that they have an eternal future with him. And this life is the passage that we go through. But we are here to go there because of what Christ has done for us in history. But when the Corinthians got to the end of this part, this exhortation and, and teaching on what the, what the Lord's Supper was all about, as I said last week, and I want to reiterate now, they were probably thinking, how could we be so stupid? How could we be so insensitive? Because they were making a mess of it. They were making a hash of it. What should have been drawing the church together, what should have been a time of memory and, and, and special feeling and, and God-honoring was a time when the church was being ripped apart. The haves were lording it over, enjoying themselves, and the have-nots were suffering and struggling. And, and the Lord's Supper should remind us of our unity in Christ and not exacerbate our diversity in the world. And that's why I stressed it earlier we're all from different nationalities here, from different nations. And, and there's diversity here in the room. And, and what should happen when we come around the Lord's table together, as we celebrate communion, as we have the Lord's Supper, we should be remembering that we've been brought together as one family. But there's a great temptation. And, and the world gives us this temptation that we exacerbate our diversity. And, and so we should be asking ourselves, how do we get things right? And, and I'm sure that the Corinthians were asking themselves, how do they get things right? And, and the third point of last week's sermon, which we didn't look at, which is going to be the basis of this week's sermon, is how to get things done right. How to get things done right. And we're concentrating our thoughts in verses 27 to the end of this chapter. Paul has just explained the essentials of what the Lord's Supper should look like in verses 23 to uh, 35. And one of the key elements here is that the local church needs to be gathered together. The Lord's Supper, the communion, is for the local church. It's for the body of God's people to come together. And so the first essential ingredient, if you like, is for God's people, the local church, to be together. And then we need the bread. And, and the symbolism of the bread is, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus' body was, was broken. Jesus came to this world as a man. He was whole man and holy God. And the two things were together in, 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 a, in a miraculous way. And as he is there... Is he 
dies on the cross, as he gives up his lifeblood, the cup resembles this. The cup is the new covenant in my blood. The old covenant is the Old Testament, and the Old Testament condemns. The law condemns. It shows us we've sinned. It shows us that we've fallen short of the glory of God. No one can keep all the commandments. The commandments condemn us. And then Jesus came. And the new covenant is Jesus' blood was shed to satisfy the wrath of God, to satisfy the judgment that we deserve. And the cup is to remind us of Jesus' blood that was shed for us. And as we drink it, we do it in remembrance of Christ. And and the people who are involved need to know why they're doing it. And this is why this is an important part of Scripture, because it'd be so easy for you to get caught up in a service and and then sit down and take communion, and you have the the bread, and you have the the juice, and you take the cup, and you go home, and what did you do? And, And it says there, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And there's a sense that, that it's not just the local church gathering together to have a ceremony. It's the local church really recognizing and knowing what they're doing in that moment in time and pointing forward and looking forward to the Lord Jesus Christ who is going to return. Just as Christ rose from the dead and is sat at the right hand of the Father now, he is going to return and take us to be with him for eternity. Now, different churches do the Lord's Supper in slightly different ways. And, and I'm sure that you're all from, well, I know you're all from different churches originally. And, and as, you, as you come here, you may think, well, that's not how we did it back home. That's not how we did it in, in that church. Some churches have it as part of their main service. And so built into their main service, they have the Lord's Supper. Other churches have it separate after the service. Some churches have it as a totally separate meeting. I had to smile last week when some of the youngsters were asking uh, Brother Scott about the bread. What sort of bread is it? And, And some churches feel very passionate that it should be unleavened bread. And some have a little wafer, and others just have normal ekmek. Some break the bread beforehand, and it's all prepared nice and neatly for you. And others, the, the, the person who's presiding breaks it off and gives it to them. And yet others let you, yourself, pull it off. Some have non-alcoholic wine. Some have alcoholic wine. Some just have grape juice. Some have one cup that everyone drinks from. Others have individual small cups. Some of them pass the elements around to one another. Some of them have someone going around serving. Some of them ask people to come up the front. Some churches have it once a week. Some churches have it once a month. Some churches have it once a quarter. In some parts of Scotland, they have it once a year. And and the list could go on and on and on. And I'm sure the things that you think I've actually missed out because your church does it like this or that church does it like that. But this is not the issue. This isn't the issue. If this was an issue, we'd have very, 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 very clear instructions of how to do it. We don't. There's some latitude here in God's word. There are some essential parts. The bread. 
the cup, the people, and knowing what they're doing. But how that exactly is done is not the issue. But Paul is really, really concerned not about how the essentials were applied, but he was concerned about the people that were eating the bread and drinking the cup. The the big deal was he wanted the people, and the bigger deal is God wants the people, as they eat the bread and drink the cup, to do it in what we have called here as a worthy manner. Verse 27 says, For whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner. So a worthy manner is the opposite. Worthy manner is the aim. Unworthy manner is the problem. In an unworthy manner, and it's a big problem because it says it here, will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. A worthy manner. That's how we're to to come round the Lord's table. That's how we're to take the Lord's Supper in in a worthy manner. Not unworthy, because if we're unworthy, we are guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. We have to be careful here. Because some people have, have gone with this idea of being worthy and unworthy. And it's not talking about us personally being worthy or unworthy. It's talking about the manner in which we come. Now, this is, this is an important distinction. I want you to, to hear this and follow this through. It's not about us personally being worthy or unworthy of taking the Lord's Supper, but it's about the manner. Because it says unworthy manner. See, this, 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 this is not teaching that a Christian can make themselves worthy of the Lord's Supper. Yeah, we, we, we cannot make ourselves worthy of the Lord's Supper. And, and some people see, almost seem as we have to just do this little confessing of sins before we take the celebrate it, and then everything's fine. You see, the gospel that we are celebrating, the very thing that we are remembering, reminds us that we are unworthy. Every one of us here has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. No one here is perfect. As we hold up the old covenant against our lives, as we see God's commands, we see that we've fallen short of the glory of God and we cannot make ourselves worthy. But the wonder of wonders and and the, the, the grace upon grace and mercy upon mercy is this, is God sent his son to make us worthy. We can have communion and we can share in communion because we have been redeemed. We have been saved by Christ's blood. And that's what communion is pointing to. This is the gospel. This is the good news. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But Christ has paid the price of the sins of his people on the cross. If if you are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as your saviour, and only the Lord Jesus Christ, your sins have been dealt with. And he has made you enabled to come and be worthy in that sense. We're made worthy by Christ. But it's saying here that we need to come to the Lord's Supper 
in a worthy manner. In a worthy manner. And in the context of this passage, that is by maintaining the unity of the body. What was going on then that was unworthy was the haves were lording it over the have-nots. The poor, as we saw last week, were being despised and, and left out. And the rich were eating it all and having a great time together. And some of them were getting drunk before they were having the Lord's Supper. And some were not getting anything at all. And they, and they were pushed out. And it was wrong and it was sinful. And this was not a worthy manner. They were not approaching in a worthy manner. These people may well have had had their sins forgiven, and they may well have been trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. But they were not walking in a worthy manner on this particular subject. They were not maintaining the unity of the body. An unworthy manner in, in this context refers to sinful attitudes and actions that foster, that generate division within the church. And specifically then, it was how the rich marginalized the poor. And I'm sure as the poor were marginalized, they despised the rich. And there was a chasm, there was a division, there was a divide between the church. And I think we can also take this and apply an unworthy manner in a more general sense of when we participate in the Lord's Supper hypocritically. Now, we may not be doing what the Corinthians were doing. In fact, I'm very thankful that I've seen none of you turn up to the Lord's Supper drunk. We're blessed in that sense, yeah? But the reality is there's more to it than this. We can gather around the Lord's table hypocritically. You see, you can come round this table, and coming round the table, as we will be later, the members will be later, they, they will be celebrating Christ's unity and their unity in the church. And, and they may, you may be fostering disunity. If you're sitting down to communion, and there's another brother or sister who's sitting down to communion, and you're not talking with them, you've got a problem. The church has got a problem. Because that's not right. If you come into the communion setting later and, and you see one set of people sitting on that side, I'm not going to sit with that lot. I want to sit with my tribe over there. You're fostering disunity. If, if there's someone there that you don't want to speak to or you don't like, someone there who maybe has hurt you and they've done something wrong, and that's, that's there, it's sin, but you've decided that you are not going to deal with it righteously, but you're just going to let it fester in your heart. You've not forgiven that person that's hurt you. Or maybe just this morning on the way in on the bus, you've been gossiping about someone that you're going to sit next to and share communion with. This is coming around the Lord's table hypocritically. And it's tragic. Because it divides the church. And then maybe there's some people who come and they claim to be a Christian when they're not. And then some people take communion and they've got no idea what they're doing. Some people take communion because they think this is going to keep them safe in the week to come. We need God's blessing in exam week. We'll take Holy Communion. 
It's not what it's about. That is the very thing that Paul is talking about here. And if that's your attitude, you are guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. And this friend is really serious. It is frighteningly serious. Because this attitude is mocking the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. See, Jesus' death wasn't just to save you from your sins. It was much more than that. Jesus' death was for God's glory. It's all about God's glory. Our salvation in some ways is like a side effect of God having the glory. And we're blessed with salvation, but also we're blessed with being united together as brothers and sisters in Christ. He brings us in as a family. In Galatians 4 and verse 26, we see that very clearly. He says, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God. Everyone here who knows the Lord Jesus Christ is the Savior. You are brothers and sisters together from different age groups, from different economic backgrounds, from different languages, from different cultures. It doesn't matter. We are one in Christ. Because it goes on to say, for as many of you who are baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no male or female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And when you come round the Lord's Supper and you have a problem with another brother, sister of yours in Christ and you're doing nothing about it and you're resenting them and you you are not smiling at them and you're not talking to them and and you're not taking them seriously or, or not respecting them or whatever else it is, you are guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. And if you come and you take communion and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you're making a mockery of it. See, we're saved into a family. We pray to the same, our Father who is in heaven. And yet the devil can make us and our temptation, our sinful nature can take us to despise or just marginalize or just lord it over our brothers and sisters in Christ. As the redeemed family, we should be united. And tragically, those at Corinth were not. And we have this very solemn chapter in God's word. And I am so thankful for the unity that I see at LPC. But I don't take that for granted. And also, I don't see into your heart. But you know your heart. But what I do know from God's word is there are serious consequences about this. That there, are, there are very serious consequences Our first subheading this morning is a worthy manner. And secondly, we move on to serious consequences. Paul doesn't leave it with the fact that this is an unworthy manner who will be guilty concerning the blood and the body of the Lord. That's heavy. But then he goes on to outline the consequences of this behavior in verses 29 to 32. And he says, For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. 
That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. That's serious, isn't it? Paul is saying to these people, look, if you just go into communion, to Lord's Supper, lightly, if you're not discerning the body, and that, that can go two ways, that's either the, the, the body of Christ, the church, or it's actually bod, the body of Jesus. Uh, essentially, it's the same difference. It's taking it lightly. It's not doing it seriously. He says, drinks judgment on himself. And ladies, if you think because it's in the masculine himself there, that gets you out. No, it doesn't. This is an all-encompassing. Brothers and sisters together here. And then he applies it further to that situation in Corinth. He says, if anyone does it, and he says, look, this is why you've got some problems in Corinth. In Corinth, there were some people who were weak. There were some people that were ill. And there were some people that had died. And the reason that had happened is because they drunk judgment upon themselves. And then that's frightening. And that's breathtaking. The consequences are significant. The consequences are immense. The consequences are heavy. If you're not looking out for the church family, if you're not living in unity as you should be, you are without discerning the body. Or to use a previous language, you are approaching the table in an unworthy manner and you will bring judgment on yourself. And the language is emphatic. It's not you might or could. There's an emphatic cause and effect here for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body and eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment on himself. There's not, there's not an if, there's not a maybe. There is a definitive here. Uh, and Paul goes on to evidence that in Corinth. And many of them have been weak and ill, and some have died. That doesn't mean that every weakness and illness and death within the church is due to God's judgment. Thankfully not. And we can see that very clearly from the book of Job, and we can see that very clearly from other parts of God's word. But in this situation, God used physical illness to seek after and to promote spiritual well-being in his people. And just as God used that then, God now can use physical illness within the church and within God's people to judge them, maybe, or to bring them and draw them close to himself. This illness... And this weakness and this death is not a punishment. It's a judgment that, that, poor, that God is using to put on upon his people so that he can draw them back to himself. Some people interpret this as a spiritual weakness and spiritual illness and spiritual death. Uh, but I think that the reality in this particular situation in Corinth was actually physical. But it can affect the spiritual as well. 
And, and the logic that Paul gave to them, and what we need to apply is this. He said, but if we judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we're judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. And there's two things going on here. And it goes back to the earlier verse, which we'll come to in a moment. But he's just saying, look, if you judge yourselves, if you take seriously your task, then you won't be judged. If you come around the Lord's Supper table carefully and prayerfully in the right spirit, you've got nothing to worry about. This passage of God's word isn't to make you afraid of coming around the Lord's table. This passage of God's word is to prepare you appropriately so we come around it in the right way. And then he says, but if, if you're not, if you are judged by the Lord, it's because he's disciplining you. And he's disciplining you so that he wouldn't condemn you with the, with the world. What Paul is wanting them to do is, is, is to preempt the situation by judging themselves, looking at their situations and putting it right. And if they put it right, they won't need God's judgment. But the fact of the matter was some of these people had these illnesses. And it's what God was using to draw these people back to himself. And you can say, well, what about the people that had died? Well, the people had died in Christ and gone to heaven. And perhaps God knew that if he'd left them on this earth, things would have got worse. Because God knows everything. We have to look beyond this rather than our own uh, great notion that we are all important. God knows these situations. He knows what he's doing. And he brought about this illness and this sickness upon these people who were his people because he wanted to draw them back to himself. Hebrews 12 offers a commentary on this. Hebrews 12 and verse 7 talks about discipline. And it's for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom the father does not discipline? You see, sometimes we want this fluffy God that does our commands and our biddings and, and does what we want. But this is the real God. This is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. This is the God who cannot contain sin. This is the God who sent his son to die on the cross to pay the price for our sins. And if we're going off the wrong way, he will discipline us. And he will do it to draw us back. And, and the church in Corinth, they were being disciplined and they were ill and they were sick and some of them died because they were going the wrong way. And God in his kindness was doing this to him to draw them back to himself. Now again, I have to emphasize that not all illness is due to this. Yeah. So don't suddenly go around the church thinking, oh, he's ill. He's an awful sinner. That's, that's not what this is saying. But we do need to take this serious. And it may not be that the Lord inflicts this illness on the church now for this kind of failing. But what has taken place in Corinth should serve as a serious warning to us. And even if this attitude, this type of sinful attitude, doesn't lead to physical death within the church, it certainly will lead and have an effect on the spiritual welfare of the church. And I believe that around the world there are churches that are weak and ill, spiritually speaking, because the unity has been broken and the church has been messing around at communion. When rather than remembering the Lord's death until he comes, 
They've been drinking condemnation upon themselves because they haven't come in the right way. Those of you that are studying medicine will know this mantra. And anyone that knows anything about medicine will understand this. Prevention is better than cure. Prevention is better than cure. I, I, was, I was shocked the other day, and I was naively shocked, talking to uh, someone from Nigeria, and, and they, they were just saying how many times they've had malaria. That's awful. We, 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 we thankfully don't have those little insects in England with that disease. And, and when I go to Nigeria, I take anti-malarial tablets because I don't want to get it. Prevention is much better than me getting the medicine afterwards. Apparently, the medicine afterwards is really good. Three, four bad days, then you're, then you're fine again, yes? Some of you are nodding. Some of you are saying no. <laughs> but the prevention, it's much better not to get malaria in the first place, isn't it? Yes? And, and, and so what, what Paul is saying, there's a much better way, yeah? How to get things right. How to get things right so we don't end up here in the first place. And, and Paul addresses the Corinthians both on a personal level and on a corporate level as the church family. And we go back to verse 28. And we see the first thing in getting it right here is personal examination. Let a person examine himself. And before you personally celebrate the Lord's Supper, you should take time out to examine yourself. And friends, this is a personal thing. It's not your right to examine the person next to you. And think, oh yes, what are they doing here? They don't smile at so-and-so. They're falling out. No, it's you. You as an individual, as you come around the table, need to examine yourself. It is a private thing. You shouldn't be thinking of other people standing. You should be thinking of your standing before the Lord. And in all honesty, the first thing you need to ask yourself is, are you a believer? That may sound daft. And for many of you, that's a very simple question. Yes, you are. The Lord's Supper is only for those who are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. For only for those who have a personal relationship with God through Jesus. And as I said, churches do it in different ways. And here at LPC, we invite only the members of LPC and visiting members of other churches to take communion with us. We take this seriously. It is serious who takes communion, because we don't want to be responsible for people drinking and eating unworthily. Now, we know that ultimately that responsibility is on the individual, but as a church, we take that seriously. And as a church, I know that you come from many different backgrounds and have many different criteria on this and many different ways of understanding. And this is why we do it like this. This is why we have a membership. And I could argue, and I will if you want me to, one-to-one, why membership is a biblical thing and why we should be gathering together as a local church. But we should only do it like that. And, And on from there, in the context of the passage, we should be making sure that we are doing nothing that upsets the unity of the church. If there's someone that you've not been talking with, if there's someone that has offended you or you've offended and there's been no forgiveness and there's been no reconciliation, if you're holding a grudge, 
If you lent that person some money and they haven't paid it back and they're laughing at you and you're all cross and upset and it hasn't been resolved properly, it is a problem. If, if you're ignoring one another, if, if you're feeling aggrieved or if you've grieved a, a fellow brother or sister, these things need to be sorted out before coming to the Lord's Supper. It is serious. Because when you come round the Lord's table, you are saying, I am a believer. I am trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. I've been brought into the family. The death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ are real to me. And I'm looking forward to his return. But I don't care much for him because he did this, that, or the other. And you're mocking God. Jesus died for our sins. But sometimes we make our differences and say they're too much. And they're not. And this needs sorting out. It needs sorting out. Matthew in chapter 5 verse 23 is not exactly the same circumstances, but it gives us a, a helpful insight it's talking about bringing an offering. It's talking about coming before the Lord. This is if you're there with your offering and your gift at the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, what are you to do? You're to leave your gift there before the altar, and you're to go, and you're to be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Nothing exactly can be applied to the Lord's table. If, if you're going to come to the table and there is something that someone has against you or you have against them, if there is sin that's festering in the way, that needs to be dealt with. Because if it's not, the circumstance and the result of our actions are serious. And, and this time of introspection also gives us the opportunity to evaluate our spiritual lives. While we're not able to make ourselves worthy, the gospel makes us worthy, we should be striving to live a life that's Worthy. It's a worthy manner to allow us to come before the Lord's Supper. And, and the particular situation and sin there for the Corinthians was this disunity and this marginalization of, of each other and this impropriety of, of, of what was going on. But friend, if, if you are coming to the table and there's unrepented sin in your life, If, if, if that's maybe a respectable sin, or it might be unrespectable, it could be open or it could be hidden. But if you come round the table to remember the cost and the price that Jesus paid to forgive you from your sins, and then you're still holding on to them, what are you saying to Christ? What are you saying to God the Father who sent his only begotten Son? What are you saying to the Holy Spirit? That is no way to come around the Lord's table. And we need to confess. And we need to come. And we need to come in a manner and living a life that's a worthy manner. You see, secondly, we see here there's a corporate action. True self-examination, when it shows something up, will lead to action. 
It's not just saying, oh dear Lord God, forgive me. Thank you, I'll get on. It's being a change there. If there's been an upset between brother or sister, it needs reconciliation. It needs working out. If there's an habitual sin that's getting you down, it needs fighting. It needs working out. And, and as Paul said to these people, he said, So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. There's going to be a difference. It's not going to be like this in the future. You're not going to do the same thing again. You're going to wait for each other. There's not going to be this debauchery. There's not going to be this party atmosphere. You're not going to call it fellowship. It's going to finish. You're going to wait for one another. There will be a change. And if you can't wait, if anyone's hungry, let me eat at home. Eat at home. Prepare yourself properly. Eat at home. Then come. And then it will not be for judgment. They had to make a difference. You see, the gospel makes a difference. And God's word makes a difference. It's not just about what happens in our heads and our hearts. It was what happens in our actions. And so we have to take practical steps to overcome the problem. They were to wait. And if they couldn't wait, they should eat at home and then they could wait. And so we need to ask ourselves a question. When we examine ourselves, is there an action? Are we putting the needs of others first? Ah, Kent Hughes put it like this in his commentary on Corinthians. The Lord's Supper reveals the vertical aspect of what it means to be in union with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's vertical, up and down. Shows what he's done for us. But there's a horizontal and a social implication for what it means to us to put others' needs first. The church at Corinth weren't doing that. And the challenge for us individually is, are we putting others' needs first? At LPC, are we putting others' needs first? LPC, what can we do better to encourage unity and live in unity? I think some of these questions we can discuss a bit more on Zoom this evening and encourage you to come along. But I just want to leave you with this. The first step of self-examination is to ask yourself the most important question. Am I right with God? And you're only right with God if you're trusting in Christ alone. And if you're not trusting in Christ alone for your sins forgiven now, I urge you, today is the time. Now as you're sat here in your pew, call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. There was that young man, and he had his life ahead of him. And he made one slip on a balcony, and now he's in eternity. None of us knows whether we'll be here next Lord's Day. But each of us know that we are here now. And each of us have to ask that question of self-examination. Had I have died yesterday, what would have happened to me today? Am I trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior? Or do I need to come to him in repentance? Let's pray.
But Lord God, as we've seen something of the seriousness of your nature, may we also see something of the wonder of your grace and your mercy in sending the Lord Jesus Christ to die on the cross, to take your wrath, to take the punishment of our sins. Oh Lord God, may we see that and wonder. And each time we take the Lord's Supper together, may we remember what's been done for us. And may it be a daily reminding. And Heavenly Father, we plead with you for any who do not know you as their Lord and Savior. We ask that right now you would come into their lives through the power of your Holy Spirit and draw them to yourself. Oh Lord God, we thank you that you can do the impossible. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen.